right, good morning, everyone. I said good morning, everyone. There we go. Now we're all here. If you want to stand up and maybe shake a hand to the hand next to you and introduce yourself and say happy end of the year,
all can take a seat for just a minute or so here. Got just a couple of announcements I want to share with you. Um, this week is New Year's and New Year's Eve, and so we would like to invite you all to come and have fellowship with us and have some food and play some games uh, tomorrow evening at 6 o'clock. So we'll be opening the church up. We'll be right in this room. We'll have some tables set up and uh, uh, some games going. And so we would just love to have you all here with us and celebrating the new year and, and getting that going. Now, with it being the new year, we've got a couple of new things starting, mainly just small groups that I'd like to bring to your attention this morning. Um, we've got a, another group led by Miss Audrey Steele. She is going to take you through God-empowered change again. If you would like to be a part of that, please let her know. Uh, there's a poster out on the bulletin boards uh, with some contact info on there, and uh, she would just love to have you a part of the other couple of people that um, want to be a part of that as well. And then we've got one other group that I believe Harry and Barbara Broxick are going to be um, going with, and I believe Eric Disman might be leading that one. And both of those small groups are going to start on January the 9th. So you've got a little bit of time to make that your New Year's resolution that you're going to get connected into a small group this year. And so those are a couple of the things going on. And then the last thing we've got going on this week is on Friday, we're going to have volleyball open gym at 6 o'clock from 6 to 8. So if you'd like to come and play volleyball, uh, last month, we, or I guess the beginning of December, we had a, a great group. And so we would just like to continue to add people to that. And uh, we would just love to see you all here uh, participating in one of the events we've got going on this week. So I'm going to turn it back over to our worship team and... They're going to continue in and worship. Well, you're all already sitting. So I'm going to have to ask you to stand if you want to, or you can remain sitting, because I'm not going to ask you to sit again, because then this is going to be like whack-a-mole or something. So um, if you guys feel like standing, that's great. I love standing during worship. It just seems to kind of... I don't know, get the blood going or something. It, it, I find that it helps. But if you guys want to remain seating, if that's a good position for you to worship in, uh, that is totally cool. So, um, But you might want to stand at least for this next song because this one is going to be a little bit quicker.
those of you that are standing may go ahead and sit down. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in this house of worship, in this time of joy, and a time that we truly get to just abandon self and worship you. Lord, we just thank you so much for that freedom and the opportunity that we can be here all together this morning worshiping you. Lord, I come before you this morning and I pray and uh, we just pray for everything that's going on in this season of life and we thank you for Christmas and this time with, uh, with you, Lord, and this coming of our Savior and we, we just praise you and are so thankful that you sent your one and only Son for us. And Lord, we come before you and, and we pray for those that are uh, hurting during this season, that just have something going on in their life and they just can't handle it right now, Lord. I, I pray for that person, that family, and, and they just need your presence and they need your grace and your mercy in their life. And so, Lord, I just pray for those people and I pray for those of us that are, are uh, just seeking you and continually finding you throughout the week, and I just pray that you would continue to uh, be present in our lives as we go from this place and we live our lives, and, and, and I just pray that you would be with us in those times of need, and, and Lord, we just come to you and, and really just, just ask for you to be with us, for us to feel your love, for us to feel your grace and your mercy in our lives this week as we uh, begin a new year, and some of us really feel like we may need a new start going into 2019. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would bless us as we transition into this new year and this this new time. And so, Lord, I pray that we would keep you at the forefront of our lives as we as we do move into a new year. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and we pray this in your holy name. Amen. If I could have our ushers come down. We're going to take our tithes and offerings this morning. And uh, our kids, if you're still in here, I forgot to announce at the very beginning that you can go ahead and head down to our kids' worship and, and hang out with Miss McKenzie and all of our other kids this morning. Um, just to let all of you parents know, next Sunday we're going to be back onto a regular schedule so the kids will be in here for worship, and then uh, they can give their tithes and offerings, and then they can head down um, and, and uh, hang out down in our children's church, all right? Let me pray for us this morning for our offering. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these, uh, these tithes and offerings that we're getting ready to receive, and we just pray that you would bless those and, and multiply what is given and use it wisely in your church this week and this month and this year. And Lord, we just thank you for all of these people here this morning that are willing to give their tithes and offerings to you. And uh, we just thank you for all that we have and that we can be here this morning and, and give our tithes and offerings. Lord, we pray that you would be with us this morning as we do go and open your word. And I pray that our hearts would be opened as well to what you have to share with us this morning. Lord, we love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. let them get all moved out of the way here. Well, we are getting ready to start a new year, which is exciting for some of you and just another year for some of you, I suppose. Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you are planning on having a New Year's resolution this year? Anybody? Like three of you? Okay, good. Good, good. Well, glad some of you are going to want something to change in 2019. Or set your mind to something in 2019. Um, so this is always a time that I kind of reflect on the year before. And some of you may do the same thing. And it's just a time to kind of look back and say, all right, what needs to change? Like, you know, what did I not like that I did in 2018? What did my wife not like that I did in 2018 that I need to change? You know, those kinds of things. So it's just kind of a, a time of reflection as we look into this new year and, 
so many people are going to start to think about their resolutions and what they want to do and how um, you'd like to try and be better this year. And so I started kind of looking at what most people um, look at and want to change come a new year. A lot of people have uh, new fitness goals, which is why a lot of the gyms are just packed in the first two weeks of January, and then it just kind of fizzles out after that. Uh, some people want to, uh, like I said, get, get in shape or lose weight or start cooking more at home so you can save more money, or you just want to save more money and, and try and do uh, things differently, maybe have a, a new budget come a new year, or... Um, spend more time with your family. Uh, there's all kinds of different things that, that people do come a new year. But as, as I was looking at all of these different things that are popular for people to uh, change in a new year, not one of them had to do with our faith. I was kind of surprised, actually. Well, sort of surprised, I, I guess. Um, not many people make a faith resolution. They all think about uh, how you can just be a better person by losing weight, cooking at home, saving money, all those kinds of things. And so I was just a little surprised by that. Um, but I kind of looked into the word resolution a little bit and found out more what it means because we hear that every year. I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. Things are going to be different. This is going to be my resolution. And so um, this morning, actually, I, I saw somebody post on Facebook and they gave the definition of a resolution, so I wanted to, or a meaning of the word re resolution, and I wanted to share that with you this morning. And it's simply making a solid decision to do or not to do something. That makes sense, right? But I liked the way that they phrased that, making a, uh, a simple decision, something that you definitely want to change, simply making a solid decision. Not just like a up in the air, uh, thinking about doing this, but a solid decision either to do something or not to do something. And so um, this kind of led me into what we're going to look at this morning. And so we're going to look at uh, Titus chapter 2. Now, if you don't know where that's at, it is in the New Testament. And that comes after 2 Timothy. And that comes after 1 Timothy, for those of you that might need a little bit of help there. Um, so we're going to look at, at Titus chapter 2 this morning, all right? Now, this new year, I want to encourage you to try and make a faith-based resolution, to make a solid decision to do something. I hope you don't make a solid decision not to do a faith resolution, but that's all right if you feel that needs to happen. Hopefully not. Um, but... There are several different things that we can do when it comes to that, like having a better devotional life, praying more, maybe keeping a journal, something like that. Um, you know, you could invite somebody to church every month. And if you think about that, there's 12 months in a year, that's 12 people a year. It's really not too many people, so that's an easy resolution. I'm just, you know, spitballing here, helping you come up with something you can do in 2019, all right? But Paul sends this letter to Titus. And it really helps us kind of understand that we need to recommit ourselves to the things that Paul shares with Titus. Now, Paul is sending this letter so that Titus can go and preach and teach the people in Crete what it means to be a solid believer in Christ. All right? So Paul is teaching Titus these things. But there's a few things that we need to understand about these people in Crete, all right? So this is a, a small island in the Mediterranean. It's about 150 miles long. It's about 7 to 30 miles wide, so it gets real narrow, a little wider in places. But it's a small island, and the more you learn about it, the more you think, man, I don't know if that's an island I would really care to visit much, all right? So the people in Crete believed that their island was the birthplace of Zeus from Greek mythology, okay? So they believed that, and they also believed that the tomb of Zeus was on their island, all right? Now, when you learn a little more about the Cretan people, it kind of doesn't, it's a little funny, all right? So 
these people, they were self-described liars, right? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So they can claim that's where Zeus is from and all this kind of stuff, but then they're self-proclaimed liars. So you can't really believe them, I, I suppose. Uh, these people were evil brutes, lazy gluttons, and they might feel a natural inclination to feeling constantly overwhelmed. Now, this doesn't lay very good groundwork for these people. They're not looking real good. Kind of glad I'm not a part of them. Um, and they had a really bad reputation. Not many people really wanted to go to Crete. Just wasn't a place for, for people to visit. And so this was a crucial place for Titus to, to be sent and for Paul to write him a letter to try and help them um, find Christ, to, to learn about this grace of God. And so let us read. Uh, we're going to start in um, chapter 2, verse 11. I think it will be on the screen for us. And it says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, the Cretan people were not living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Hence the reason that's what Paul wrote. Um, and so it's important for us to understand that self-controlled, upright, and godly lives doesn't really fit into that definition of who those people were that I just shared with you a minute ago. That, you know, lying and being self-proclaimed to doing that, being evil brutes, lazy gluttons, they were overwhelmed. It just doesn't fit into what Paul is telling us as Christian believers that we need to, uh, to do. He goes on. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem, uh, for us, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. So, to begin this passage, Paul opens up with, uh, for the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God is something that is available to all believers. It's available to all people at all times, everywhere. It's not just those that open a Bible and say, oh, God shows us grace. But grace is something that is available to all people, and so this was something that Titus was going to preach to these people. For it is by grace you have been saved. For it is by grace uh, God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, and so we can be saved by His grace. Now, this kind of seems like it might be a funny um, and confusing teaching, teaching to these people because they haven't heard the gospel. They don't know what Jesus has done for them, and so it's a time for these people that they don't really know what Titus is preaching, but they kind of hear, like Paul says, this blessed hope. They hear that there's something else out there, a different way of living, and so they can take this way of life up, a self-controlled, upright, godly life, and they can begin to live their life that way if they choose to accept this grace of God. Um, and, and by this grace, it... We, we understand that Titus did save people. He shared the grace of God. He loved on those people. And he just shared who Jesus was and what Jesus did with all of those people. And so when we turn from the past, it means we're accepting the grace of God. It means that we're, we're putting the, the ways of a previous life without Christ and we're, we're turning away from the past and we're beginning to live this life this grace-filled life that God offers us. And because of that, uh, we begin to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Um, within ourselves, the reason that Titus has to share that it's for the grace of God or from God's grace, the only reason that we can um, have the power in us to do that is by God. We don't, we don't have the power to live this way of life on our own, which is why we have to take up this life and live uh, for God and allow the Holy Spirit to come into us and live in us and, and to transform us into who God really wants us to be. Um, so 
I want to share with you a little bit um, from a book that I just read recently, and it really helped me understand what uh, Paul was sharing with Titus, all right? Now, when I was looking through this, it talks a lot about Daniel uh, through Titus, all right? When you read through this, it talks about Daniel and how Daniel ordered his private world. He took time in his private life to set aside the things that were going on and to really focus on who God is. And so when Daniel was faced with the decision to either obey the decree signed by the king to only worship the king or to worship God, Daniel went straight home and prayed to God and that's what he did. That's just, that's all there is to it. There was no decision to be made on whether or not he was going to uh, worship the king or worship God. Daniel had ordered his private world so much that he did not care what the decree was the king signed. He was going to worship God. Now, we all know that there is a lion's den, and Daniel was going to be thrown in there, and he was, and he was saved. And that's because Daniel had taken the time previously to have relationship with God. And when we focus on our relationship with God, we begin to see that it is possible to have this personal relationship with Jesus. We hear it constantly. You hear it growing up. You hear it once you come to church. You're hearing it today. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But how do we do that? How do we go from just knowing God to having personal, intimate private world relationship with God. And so this book that I read, it really helped me understand it. So let me share just a little bit uh, from this book, all right? So Howard Rutledge, a United States Air Force pilot, was shot down over North Vietnam during the early stages of the war. Rutledge, was, uh, Rutledge spent many miserable years in the hands of his captors during the war, but was released at the conclusion of the war. That time that he spent in the hands of his captors really showed him the importance of inner resources. He shares in his book, In the Presence of Mine Enemies, that he could finally put, his, put into perspective what was trivial and what was important to him. He shares that in the past he had spent many Sundays out playing hard and no time for church. For years, his wife Phyllis encouraged him to join the rest of the family at church but she never nagged him or scolded him for not going, but she continued to hold her hope that one day he would join her at church. Rutledge goes on to say, but I was too busy, too preoccupied to spend one or two short hours a week thinking about the really important things. He shares that while being a POW, he began to feel a hunger for spiritual food rather than being hungry for the most delicious meal he could ever get his hands on. He began to reflect on a part of himself that, that would never die. He wanted to know more about God than he wanted to know about anything in the world. While he was in solitary confinement, he began, he came to the realization that there were no pastors, no Sunday school teachers, no hymns, nothing to sing, no community of believers around him to help guide him and sustain him in a Christian walk. He realized in the midst of a prison camp that he was all alone, realizing how empty his life had been without God. Now, unfortunately for Howard, it took a severe uh, time in a prison camp to really come to the realization that he needed something inside of him uh, more than anything in the world around us. He came to realize that... Um, that his life was just not complete without there being a private world that God was a part of. Howard had to come to that realization as Titus was taught and was teaching that, he was, he, that we must organize ourselves so that we can have the three things that Paul was teaching Titus. Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So think about, think about this for a second. Just as a as an analogy to our spiritual life, okay? So think about a garden. How many of you like to go out and, and garden? I can put my hand out on that. I figured some of you would. Now, I hate it. I, I don't like it. I, 
it's not that it's like outside or anything. I just don't see the joy in waiting for forever to have something grow, and I just don't enjoy that kind of thing very much. And as I was reading this book, I came to realize that my spiritual life was kind of the same way. I didn't want to take the time to have this relationship with God, to have Him in my private world of devotion and prayer, and I just didn't want to take the time for that. And so I realized through this gardening that it's work. It's going to take some time, but it's totally worth it. So think about this. When, when a gardener gets down on their hands and knees and they start to work the ground, they start to um, turn the soil up and, and begin to get their garden prepared, and, and they're, they've, they've got their gloves and their tools, and they're, they're ready to get to work, and then you start pulling out the, the rocks and the weeds and, and the, the unwanted growth that's in this area that you want to plant the garden. So you, you've got a little bit of the hard work done. You've gotten things taken out that don't belong. You want to, to really get the soil prepared and to take out the unwanted growth. And then you begin to plan where you want to put things in your garden. You begin to think where you want to put some vegetables and some flowers and, and some plants. And, and you just want it to be a beautiful garden and you want to take the time to... Uh, plant those things and so you get the seeds and you get the plants and the flowers and you start to put them in the ground and then you then you take your watering can and you pour the water over and day by day you you go out to your garden and you water it and you take that time and you you watch that that first little thing begin to sprout and you see the growth begin to happen and it's just the same in our private world with God we, we begin to get down on our hands and knees. We prepare the soil. We, we prepare our lives. We, we open up and allow God in. And it's a time that we begin to be filled with God and, and things are beginning to be planted and, and the weeds and the rocks and the unwanted growth, God's sharing with us what needs to be removed from our lives so that we can live an upright and godly life. And when we begin to garden, we, we begin to uh, have self-control and self-devotion to God. And that's the time that we really take for granted, and, and, or that we really take and we, we focus in on, on what God is doing in our lives. And so our relationship with God begins to be nourished. We have time set aside for God, specifically for a private time to, to pray, to worship God, to read Scripture, to understand His Word so that our lives are filled with what God wants and the things are removed that God does not want. And so when we live in the center of God's will, we are living in the grace of God. Our garden begins to, to grow and, and everything begins to, to take life and color and it's beautiful, and it, it feeds us, and we allow God to really take over the garden, and everything becomes His, and, and it's just a beautiful picture that, that I see, and hopefully you see as well. And so as Titus learned, and was going to preach to the Cretans, we must begin a spiritual discipline right now. That's what he was sharing with them. It, it's a right now kind of a thing. It's not a, well, I'll wait a little while and do what I want to do now, it's, that's not the life that Titus and, and Paul are sharing with us. It's a, it's a right now, an urgent matter that we have to take up. And, and so I just encourage you, right here, beginning of a new year, if you feel like you haven't quite had that relationship with God, your garden's not quite nourished, there's not quite enough growing, I encourage you to take this time in the new year to really focus in on what God's will is. In his book, Gordon MacDonald shares, when we order our private world and God takes over, that means we have courageously confronted the messiness of our ways of living and chosen to bring them under rigorous discipline. Being self-controlled means that we're going to be disciplined, that we're going to live in the way God wants us to live. 
And so it, it may be a little bit of tough work at the beginning, you know, getting down on your hands and knees and, and praying and spending time with God and, and searching and Him, you know, being alive in you and sharing what that unwanted growth is, those weeds, those rocks, those things that don't belong. And then as life begins to take root and our private worlds begin to, to be just that, a time between you and God, we begin to really feel the grace of God in our lives. We begin to feel the love that God has for us. And we, we begin to see this self-controlled, this upright, this godly way of living. And so there's things in the past that, that have to be done away with. There's going to be things in the past that, that just aren't going to be able to stay in our lives. But I can tell you this, God is here in the present and in the future. He has a plan for your life. God's will is there, but we have to spend time with God in order to know what that plan is. And so grace is something we don't earn, but it's simply, it's just given to us. God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son, right? And, and grace appears. We have grace in our lives. And it forgets the past. It washes it clean like the songs that we sang this morning. God's grace gives us new life, and we have life in Christ. And so I ask you today, this morning, what do you have in your life that needs to be confronted? What kind of growth is in your life that needs to be uprooted and taken away, disposed of? What kind of things in your garden need to be planted? What kind of flowers and, and seed and and plants, what, what needs to be planted? What is God really laying on your heart? God speaks to each and every one of us. But it's up to us whether or not we listen. Whether or not we have that self-control, that self-discipline to listen. What God has in store for us. And so I ask you again, what do you need to confront in your life? You know, there, there's all kinds of different things. We all face different challenges, different struggles. But I ask you, what needs to be uprooted? What needs to be taken away? What is God laying on your heart that needs to be done away with? What in the past needs to be left in the past? And, and what do you need to be doing in the present? And so I, I, I leave you with this challenge this morning. I want you to find a way in 2019 to order your private world, to find time in your private life where God fits. And if, he, if you're like, well, I don't like that, then make God fit. There's always a place in your life where you can turn the TV off or you can you know, do whatever and, and God fits into a certain place, a certain time in your world. And I encourage you to find a way to truly honor and worship God in your life, whether that be finding the perfect devotion for you. Now, Bethany and I know it, it can take a while to find something that you really, truly connect with that speaks to you. But I encourage you to take the time, find what works for you. Journaling for me and writing out my prayers has been one of the best things that's, that I have done in my private life, in my relationship with God. And so I encourage you to find that one thing that you can do that really connects you closer to God. And you'll be amazed when we dive into the center of God's will, when we do what we can to live right there in the center of His will in our life, we begin to experience new things. We, it, we experience an everlasting friendship with God. We experience joy, peace, grace, mercy. We gain courage, hope, endurance. When our relationship with God flourishes, when it's just beautiful and it's, it's growing, our lives begin to look very different. We begin to see that godly, upright, self-controlled life that we're called to live in. And so God's grace is, is available for every single one of us, but we must confront our past so we can live with God in the present so that His will can be at work in the future. And we often forget the grace of God and the busyness of the Christmas season, but this is the time of year that we really should feel and see God's presence in our life. 
our Savior is born. He's here with us in our He's, he's in the, the midst of everything that we do. And so I just pray and hope that you will find him. And sometimes we forget the grace of God when we walk out the doors of the church. When we, we head to our cars, it's already gone. But I encourage you to take with you, to remember this grace of God. And so that you can live this, this upright, self-controlled, and godly life. So let me leave you with this thought today. If your private world is in order, it will be because you have decided to live a self-controlled, upright, godly life in which you decided to confront the messiness of the past. All right? Let me pray for us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for these words that we can read in your, your word and the truth and the grace that you have for us. Lord, we... We are excited as this new year begins and, and we look forward to a deeper, better relationship with you. And I pray that each and every person here this morning would take your word and that they would find what works for them so that their private world can be in order. So that they can have such a deep, loving relationship with you that they truly feel your grace in their lives. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place today that we wouldn't forget about your grace and the, the words that you've shared with us this morning. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.